Welcome to our podcast, Deconstruct. My name is Lauren. And I'm Adam. On this podcast, we want to help start or continue conversations about the beautiful and messy parts of life. Although we both had a conservative upbringing, we've since grown out of a lot of our traditional ways of thinking. We're learning to deconstruct the religious lenses we once saw the world through, breaking down topics like purity culture, racism, and the patriarchy, while demystifying things like feminism, equality, and love. Stepping away from our evangelical church background, all the while leaning into God and moving forward in our faith. We'd love to hear your story. You can find us on Instagram at deconstruct.pod. Now, on to the episode. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Hi. How are you? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. How's the uh, Southern California weather? Um, I am roasting. I just went for a walk this morning and I am, I feel crispy. Like that's how, how (laughs) that's exactly how I love to feel. (laughs) We've just had a bunch of like weird Florida weather here in Nashville. It's been like nice and then it'll rain Uh for like an hour and a half. Oh my gosh. And then it'll just be done. I actually don't really mind it too much because normally with Nashville, if it rains, mm-hmm. it's kind of like a three-day situation where it's, oh. kinda, it's like raining for that amount of time and then it doesn't rain oh. for like a week and a half or two weeks. So Yeah, I wouldn't like that because I, I always have to get outside and get like a little sunshine in the morning. It really just like gets my day going. Right. I, I walked around like 7 a.m. for about an hour. Oh, wow. And yeah. So oh, good for you. That do you, do you, are you just walking like on your own? Are you walking a dog or? I walk on my own. I sometimes will walk my cousin's dog if she lets me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she has a cute, a cute little French bully. So I'll like hit her up sometimes and be like, Hey, can I walk your dog in the morning? You're but so cute. Yeah. But she can't walk as far as I walk. Like I sometimes may walk four or five miles and she's usually hmm. only good for two. But oh that's gosh. fine. Usually, I would like Carry I would like loop around and drop her. No, she's too heavy. She's much too heavy. She's like all muscle. She's not a back so dog. Got it. No, she's not. Not for me anyway. I think I'm too little. But she she's really fun to walk. Like I really like walking with her. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. Today we have Fifi Buchanan. And she began her career journey as a mechanical engineer and now works as a copywriter, a content creator, and voice actress. She currently lives in Southern California, where she enjoys writing and podcasting for her own brand as well as other brands. Fifi hosts a lifestyle improvement podcast called Wonderfully Made, where she uses storytelling, soothing sounds, and personal experiences to help others reflect on some of life's biggest questions and challenges. She believes affirmations and encouraging words can propel us forward into healing and great sense of life fulfillment. So she got saved at six years old and she grew up in church. Um, And she says that she was pretty sheltered. Uh, Her dad became a pastor when she was 10. She's currently experiencing a new journey of questioning, which she believes is the start of a deconstruction of her beliefs. Fifi, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm just going to dive right into that last bit. You know, I'm just going to go for it um, because I'm curious. What, What led you or is leading you to believe that 
you were starting a deconstruction process? Like what are, what are, or what were the signs for you? Yeah, I think there were a few triggers, which um, I think when I say this, it won't be uncommon for for many, but I would say tragedy. Mm. I think that the purpose of spirituality, religion, whatever you want to call it, is to help you to make sense of life and the world around you. And when your current knowledge and your spiritual experiences no longer give you those answers, it can be really confusing. Mm. And I feel that that's where I am, like just having a couple of things. Like I would say, um, getting laid off from my job sort of was a trigger for a journey uh, Mm. that happened about a, a year and a half ago. And that's not one of those things where I'm like, where is God in this? Because people get laid off all the time. But it mm-hmm. was also seeing that like there were disparities. I mean, being um, a black woman, being in America and how like my experience has been very different from some other people mm-hmm. and feeling like I'm not seen. And, you know, even like in yeah. a church setting where there is an opportunity for certain spiritual leaders to speak up and say this inequality is wrong. Yeah. Instead, they just say, trust God. And then like, mm. you know, just don't, don't shake things up too much. And then I would say um, around like breakups, like loss of love, different things. That's also a time where um, it made me question because getting to know certain men and that like meeting them in church or them saying like, I love God and like experiences over the years with like infidelity and like lying and manipulation and abuse as well. It's like, this is a person who supposedly follows the tenets of the church, but still feels like this is okay. Right. And then the last thing for me, which was really big, and I'm still really processing is um, my middle sister going through the process for adoption and being told, okay, everything's going well, you're going to be able to adopt the baby. And then at the very last minute being told, nope, the baby's going back into the foster care system Mm. and you guys cannot adopt him. And just knowing that like, kids being in foster care, they could be there until they're 18 and yeah. be wondering like, why is it that he was safe and right. good and in a good place only to be pulled away? And so mm. just, you know, me, me growing up with like more of an idea that if you just sort of live correctly and work hard, everything will work out. Um, it's not lining up because there are little small children who they've not done anything and they're completely mm. being shaken up and having a hard time. So me wondering where is God in it and not just the, these platitudes that people give to say, well, just trust God. That's not enough for me anymore. Right. Wow. Yeah. I relate a lot. Um, you know, I don't have the same sort of situation, but that's, I feel like those experiences and those, those, the thought process of, you know, where, where is God in this Mm -hmm. and kind of having to reconcile just that um, if you're essentially, if you're good enough, then things will work out. Or if you are, if you adhere to certain standards, things, you know, God will essentially be on your side. Um, And yeah, that's, it's heartbreaking and it makes you really look at things with, I guess, clearer vision um, and Mm -hmm. not, um, you know, functioning in a way that is focused on just, self and not that you were self-focused, but it's it's almost like it takes seeing somebody else's um, life and seeing somebody else's potential, like their future, um, Mm -hmm. them not having a future and them, it just, it's, it's eye-opening and it's heartbreaking. Um, So I, I definitely understand that with the idea of, you know, even 
people in different countries. I know when I was really, when I was even really young, I didn't understand how people who had never heard of Jesus would go to hell. Like I didn't understand how, you know, in different countries that they had literally never heard of Jesus and literally never heard of the Bible that they would go to hell. That just wasn't, Mm -hmm. that wasn't okay with me when I was seven. It's not okay with me now. So, and I was kind of told that that idea would that that concept would somehow make re- sense, make sense when, when I was older right. and it never did and I it, yeah, think yeah. just realizing that those questions don't have answers because there's something there's like a, a fallacy there's something yeah not right in that theology mm-hmm. um I think that's just it's I don't know it's an awakening that I allowed myself to go back to almost in a childhood idea of, you know, what is, what is true. Um, And, and the questioning is the most beautiful part. And I think that depending on which circle you're in of religious or spiritual people, um, they make it seem like it's, it's wrong or that if God, if God is really God and he is this huge and this amazing and this wonderful and this powerful, why would he not be able to withstand my anger or my Mm, questioning. Right. And it feels to me like my questioning shakes up someone else's belief system so much that they have to throw an answer at me to Mm. shut me up because Mm. it would, it would totally shake up their beliefs to question this or would turn them upside down. So they have to give an answer. And it always comes down to kind of like (laughs) when you're good, God blesses you. But then when something is bad, well, we can't blame God for that. Mm, That has nothing to do with God. And so then I just, I get stuck on these bad things that happen to quote good people. I mean, I know it's like, it is kind of relative, the idea of a good person, but at least it's not relative when it's a small baby. That's why I use those examples because they just got here. You can't tell me that they, even, even outside of Christianity, law of attraction, that doesn't Mm. even make sense because a little baby who's nine months old, who gets cancer, like yeah. you can't, can't manifest like, that baby can't no. manifest a life without cancer. Yeah, exactly. So my point is there are things that humanity can't answer. And why can't we just sit in that question instead mm. of throwing answers at people? Because what right. it does is it exacerbates the pain when you're trying to explain to me that, oh, later it'll make sense or you're better off. Like think about these, you know, breakups that people go through in life. And then someone immediately wants to say, oh, well, you're better off anyway, or mm. God has something better for mm. you. But in that current moment, they are hurting. Right, And so they're not thinking about, you know, six months from now or a year from now or any of that. They're just thinking about I'm currently in pain. Mm. So that's so interesting. I I just feel like that whole the whole narrative that we've kind of been discussing already just points to how much we I don't know if it's as Americans or as American Christians, but we idolize Mm. innocence in such a way that like we we see innocence as something that that needs to be attained. But then at the Mm -hmm. same time, religiously, it can also be used. As in a weaponized way where yeah. where it's threatened against you, where, you, where say, something like purity culture, it's, oh my it's gosh, used yeah. as a thing where, like, you need to maintain your innocence, whether mm-hmm. that's through purity culture things or don't question the Bible, come to come to your faith in a childlike way. Mm-hmm. And and it's almost used as, like, a, nope, nope, you need to stay in your in your ignorance. And, yep. they, and they're using innocence as, as a weapon to to kind of keep you in place and to and to keep you from questioning things. And yeah. but then at the same time like that's that's the part that triggered deconstruction a lot for me too was like wow. I still see innocence as something in its purest form that is that that shouldn't be harmed 
like mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. the the whole idea like if there's a kid in Africa that or or wherever you know that's the narrative that you're kind of always told when you're when you're going through church but if there's a kid somewhere that's sitting there and never had an opportunity to know about Jesus well what happens right mm-hmm. like in your mind yeah. that innocence yeah. should lead to should lead them to a place of love love yeah. and acceptance mm-hmm. and and eternal joy right yeah yeah and so then to be told that you're you'll grow up and you'll understand why that's not true and you'll understand why you need something more than that but yeah I don't know I just I feel like we keep playing this game and circling around innocence as as something that's either well that's used as a control mechanism right (laughs) Right. yes absolutely as a control mechanism and I think that we have to talk about purity culture that's definitely an aspect that relates back to prosperity teaching because it comes back to if you have a certain level of purity, especially as a woman, then therefore you are this desirable spouse mm. and you're also blessed by God. And so in some amount of time, then you will be, you know, you'll be blessed with marriage and it's all going to work out. Even kind of even relates to maybe fertility. I can't speak to that part of the journey specifically, but I think, you know, people from the beginning of time have been like, well, if I want a kid, it's a desire in my heart mm. and I don't get it. I kind of have this, this hole that's missing. And then you feel like you did something wrong. I mean, right. there's even Bible stories about that where people just felt like, well, what is wrong with me that I'm not able to have this one thing? Yep. And so I just feel like it's really dangerous now because we have like social media, like Christian influencers, mm. and they're able to put these really beautiful images in front of people to say, oh my gosh, God bless me. And just you know, as much as I love like rooting for people, the thing that makes me sick to my stomach is like the girls who just got married and they're like 20 years old and they write this long caption about, oh my God, I've been waiting my whole life for a husband and God like (laughs) finally blessed me. Like you've only been an adult for two years. So you haven't been waiting your whole life. So chill out. Um, And, and then the whole, like, I hear people use the phrase, God saw fit to make me a wife. God, God saw fit Mm. to make me a husband. Mm. And that is a little bit triggering for me because it makes it seem like those who still want it, God didn't see fit and Mm. doesn't have that plan. And then you wonder like, okay, well, why is this desire in my heart? If it's not, it may, may not happen because there, there really is no scripture pointing to the fact that, you know, a spouse is, is promised to you. Yeah. I, so it's, it's terrible. I, I understand. I feel the same way when, um, Christian artists, uh, musicians will say things like that. And it's very triggering for me. Um, yeah. I even, there was a circumstance where, um, not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to call people out, but there are just certain okay. people that, mentioned how they got on this tour and they got, you know, this bus and this whole situation. They're like, God really like has honoring my like dreams. And he, he, and that's the terms that they use, the pronunciation for God. He, you know, came through for me and heard my cries and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I've been crying. (laughs) I've Uh been working my ass off to like make this career. Like, and it's and it's like what did I not do? Um, so I definitely understand in that um, kind of in that sort of uh, experience, but a different situation for me. It's definitely with like within career and yeah. music and all that. Um, but I do want to actually quickly go back to uh, the first thing you brought up about mm-hmm. kind of what has been leading you to this point of potentially doubting or looking into or deconstructing some of your beliefs and. Um, you know, you had mentioned 
essentially I had mentioned the disparity and the complete, I guess, non-responsibility people Mm -hmm. have been having, especially in the church when it comes to Mm -hmm. racial reconciliation. And um, I kind of wanted to speak, you know, from my experience as well. I, you know, I I feel like I've kind of been deconstructing now for like a year, year and a half um, or so, essentially my whole life. But that's really when it began about a year and a half ago, um, two years. And I feel like I'm finally understanding a more reconstructed faith and in building something concrete. But um, and that actually started happening for me uh, right around the time when the uprise of the Black Lives Matter movement started, um, wow. because I started reading into and healing more um in my indigenous culture. And I was able to see how much of my faith was colonized and how a lot of the Christian religion I associated with was, was built by my ancestors oppressors. Um, and recognizing that a lot of today's Christianity is vastly manipulated and contorted Mm -hmm. to suit a white supremacist narrative. Um, (laughs) and I, yeah, I was curious. Um, you know, I, I had it, you know, in my mind to even go into this with you, because if, you know, if you're, if you were comfortable sharing, I'm curious how as a black woman, the uprise of the black lives matter movement affected you on a spiritual level. Um, and obviously like you kind of went into, into that, but I was wondering if you wanted to kind of dive more into your own personal experience. Yeah, I think because we could probably be here all day. What I will mention is the concept of forgiveness I think that's one of the things that sort of struck a chord with me is as soon as we saw like, and I'm saying we saw, right, like videos are out of this brutality, this violence that people have been experiencing for many years, but now we have video and it's Mm -hmm. just horrifying. So the videos are present and we can't deny that the violence happened. And even when people tried to say with George Floyd, like, oh, well, maybe he bounced a check. He wrote a fraudulent check. Even when that was discredited, Mm. it was like, okay, well, those specific officers did something wrong. And immediately the narrative from church specifically and black churches, white churches, the same shifted Mm. to, well, those officers, you know, it's not all of them. It's not all officers Mm. that behave that way. And then if we wanted to group them together and say, okay, well, let's talk about all the bad ones, then it was immediately we need to pray for them, Mm. which is the same narrative I hear when people are concerned and outraged by President Trump's behavior. It's, oh, well, we need to pray Mm. for them. And I really have an issue with that because yes, the Bible does say forgive. If we're we're following the Bible, it says forgive, but there are so many instances where we see that God loves justice. So why are we so quick to pray for the person who is oppressing or victimizing and not healing the wounds of the person who is the victim. Mm. That is my issue is that we are not prioritizing the pain that's being caused. And so someone who has a dripping, gaping wound Mm. is now taxed with praying for them. How about you, the person who isn't injured, you pray for them quietly to yourself, not publicly, but publicly make the victim, make it important to restore them so that they Mm. no longer are a victim and Mm. make that restoration the storyline. And so it's really problematic to me because we see in church and outside of church people who are abused and things have gone wrong. And the stance that so many Christians take is, well, we need to forgive them. Mm. We need to pray for them because, you know, I think their concern is like, well, in the afterlife, they have to answer to God and all of these Mm, things. But I think also my perception of God is that he actually does care about 
this life that we're in now. If you believe in an afterlife, that's great. But right now, whether you get 20 years on earth or 70 years or 90 years, I actually think God is concerned with this right here, not mm. just some judgment day that you're talking about that's in the future. Yeah. So I just feel like people have the same attitude that some adults would tell kids a long time ago, which was like, just ignore the bully and they'll go away. They'll lose <laughs> interest. They'll stop, which yeah. doesn't work, by the way. Well, Sometimes yeah. that bully needs to be karate chopped in the throat. Just going <laughs> to put it out there. Yep. Yeah. Um, it has to be stopped and someone actually has to say that is wrong. Mm. And I think the more we learn to say that even before even rectifying and, and punishing and putting people in jail or whatever we think the circumstance should be, if people mm. could just come forward and say things are wrong, yeah. I think there would be a lot of healing in the black community because we have been often asked to be the, the, the shoulder for the person who has, has, has harmed us. Mm. And I think that's specifically really difficult for black women um, there's this like narrative of like, you guys are so strong. You're so amazing. If, if someone doesn't get it done, a black woman will. And I absolutely hate that narrative. Ugh. Anytime someone calls me superwoman, I correct them. I'm not superwoman. I'm not this limitless source of energy. Mm. I have trauma that I have to heal from. Um, I'm still trying to reconcile my identity, um, with someone who loves God and whether or not I want to even use the word Christian, because there's a lot of harm that comes with what's inside of that. There's just so much to it that I just think the concept of forgiveness is where we kind of, like there's a snag, there's a misunderstanding of it. And um, if you just look at like the model of a black woman, if you look at like who she is in movies, yeah. a lot of times she's like the black friend mm -hmm. and there's this white girl who is the main character mm -hmm. and she's complaining about these like kind of superficial problems and never really having a full and equal relationship with, with her. And that narrative is true in real life a lot of the time. It's true on like a large scale, yeah. um, but it's also true on a micro scale. Sometimes you have to reevaluate your friendships when you are the like ethnic friend that like this person is never learning yeah. your identity at all. And then, and then they, and then sometimes there are these like little backhanded compliments. Oh, well, you don't have to deal with that. Even small stuff. Like when I ran cross country, someone like saying, oh, it's really hot outside and be agreeing. And then them saying, well, you don't have to wear sunscreen, right? Because your skin's so dark. Oh my you don't gosh. Need it, right? Oh my gosh. Oh, really? So like I'm just exempt from like skin cancer and oh like gosh. getting baked out here. You know, it's like that level Ugh. of ignorance, but it's always like, oh, but we mean well, so I should just cram mm. it down. These these microaggressions that are really, really harmful narratives at times because they dehumanize me. I'm supposed to cram that down and again forgive because the person's intentions were good. Oh my gosh. But it it's tough. Oh my gosh, that's, yeah. Well, it's the same so narrative much. that we go into about purity culture all the time where it's that move on from the bully, right? Like if you, if you yes. don't give them anything to worry about. Well, the problem yeah. is that bully may get bored with you, but move they are still going to be validated in that oh bullying nature. And so they will yes. move on. Mm, and it's yes. the same thing as victim blaming culture and purity culture where you're just mm -hmm. saying maybe wear something more covering yep. because yep. it doesn't, it doesn't call the 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 oppressor or the or the bully to actually change anything it calls the victim to change so that they don't become a victim again yeah. and it doesn't change absolutely. the action absolutely I and we forget that if someone that looks like you if someone that looks like me is being victimized then i'm also still being harmed because mm. someone is allowing that and i look just like them and you don't care enough to protect that person mm. so i know that i'm not cared for right mm. Right. And you, I mean, you mentioned being dehumanized and 
essentially, I, you know, going to going back to the, your example of someone calling you superwoman, although it looks like they're uplifting you, that is dehumanizing you because yes. essentially it's just it's just kind of wrapped up in like you know higher level cloths i guess of like mm-hmm. calling you superwoman but they're essentially they're dehumanizing you they're they're taking your human away yeah. from you as if you don't if you as if you don't get tired as if you don't have other things going on in your life as if this isn't ancestral trauma as if this isn't yes. you know all all of these things um i think that's so i i keep just like hearing what you're saying and it's it's resonating so deeply with me and um and people do that not only in um you know uh issues as such as like race but also classism and um, yes. and even within um the christianity the christian culture um mm-hmm. people people do that all the time even on on tour uh, they would do things like, oh, you, the, essentially like a superwoman situation where like mm-hmm. they would tell us that we were like superwomen. Um, and I was like, oh, well, whenever I, I would explain how something was hurtful or how something was hard or difficult or tore, I was saying how I don't know where to sleep or whatever, whatever. Um, don't know. Like people would ask if they could like have merch for free. I'm like, well, that's my dinner. So no, like I need wow. some money, whatever. <laughs> um, it's just, it's, it's interesting that people are so quick to um, almost like look past anybody else's pain or any yes. person's like suffering or or just like not wanting to meet you where you are so much so that they have to dehumanize you in a way that they feel comfortable with. <laughs> and oh, absolutely. And that way it's calling you superwoman. And I think that's just we got to recognize what that is. We have to. And I think that's one of the problems with the movement in general um, and the movement being Black Lives Matter is that people tend to want to help in the way that they want to help. Mm, Yeah. And people need to actually be listening and finding out what is a specific way that will help and advance you and heal you and reconcile you so we can do that instead of just deciding well, this is the way I want to help, mostly because it's convenient for them mm. and not going beyond that. I mean, specifically with Black Lives Matter, we've, you know, the conversation around equity, it has been mm. really, really huge. As I do a lot of research, like I'm learning that like, you know, okay, here's something I didn't know before is that when lynchings happened, I mean, that's devastating that let's say it's a, it's a black man. Let's, let's give him more identity. He's 28 years old. He mm. has two kids, a wife, a home and a small business. Okay. So when he's Lynch, that takes away the income for that family. Mm -hmm. And in a time when women couldn't even own property on their own or all these things. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that Mm -hmm. happened. What I didn't know is that also sometimes in certain towns, like the sheriff was also the person who collected taxes. And so what would happen is that person that got lynched, the sheriff would just go rewrite the books and say, oh, this property that this person who died owned they owed a dollar and 25 cents and they didn't pay it. So we're seizing their property. Mm. So now the family who lost the husband and father also lost any small amount of little assets that they would have had to survive. They lose them completely just from a small amount of property tax and they have no idea. So they, for a, a time, may be residing there and then suddenly they are kicked off because it no longer belongs to them. 
And the person who's the sheriff is the same person who does not investigate the lynching to find out who did it. So you can see how twisted that is. Right. And so now you have the generations that are never able to pass on any wealth, any Mm. equity, and then consistently being told as black people, if you just work hard like I did, you'd have everything I have. Right. When they didn't attain any of those things from hard work in the first place, and it's a slap in the face to be told, mm-hmm. you know, just work harder. And that's where I'm feeling a bit lost because also being overeducated, having a master's degree in mechanical engineering and feeling like I'm almost forced into my freelance work, which by the way, was intentionally supposed to be part-time. I didn't want mm. to be thrown into it because it's really hard to, to pull uh, as many clients as you need to really make a living that way. Yeah, so I right. always intended to kind of have this one stable career on one side and then do the freelance. And then if one happened to take over, cool, I could shift out of it. Right. But to be told that I simply need to work harder when I, I didn't enter the career, you know, the working world with some of the equity that some have, And to be compared to that and say, well, you have an education, you're able to get a job. Mm. Okay, but the debt is different. The assets are different. My parents are not able to pass certain things to me. And that's the part that is frustrating. And then to be in church and sometimes the, the message just keeps going around, just like being faithful to God and he will bless you. And then you're giving and you're really just feeling like you're still not, nothing is really changing. Mm. And then what, when I hear pastors speak out, now I'm talking more generally because I, I will tend to listen to different pastors online and different ones. Yeah. And they will specifically, before they go to show any empathy towards the families who have lost loved ones, they will quickly say, well, I'm not, I'm not for all this rioting that's happening. <sighs> yeah. Nobody even asked you that. Right. We are talking about pain and outrage and First of all, who are you to decide what is even a righteous response in the first place? Yeah, right. So why do you as an individual get to say and then but but to say, first of all, I'm not for rioting or there are good cops. If your narrative starts that way, you're gaslighting, you're gaslighting. And that's the problem I have with like when you bring spirituality into it, that is the safe place. When I go in those doors and I'm singing those worship songs where you know, God is my everything. God is my healer. He is my protector. I'm expecting church to be a safe place. So why do we turn off the worship music and then lecture people about how they should and shouldn't respond to their trauma? Mm. That that seems harmful when more pastors could be sitting down with counselors and therapists and right. people that are specialists with trauma and make sure the narrative is in the right direction and say, hey, ultimately we want reconciliation and healing. So how can we do that? How can we stay relevant, you know? And so that's, that's one of the things that I have an issue with. And then when we go back to the social media and the like influencer world, it's like you have some pastors who they want to just like use whatever is popular to get people to listen to their message. So, oh, Jada and Will were talking about infidelity. Okay. So we're going to talk about, are you entangled? And we're going to use that as the teaching and we're going to make a whole thing about entanglement. Mm -hmm. Like nobody needs that. I do not want to hear that word. I don't need to hear like, you know, even when like the movie Black Panther came out, it was like half these churches were posting about something with the message was going to have Black Panther tied into it. Yeah. And it's like, okay, so you'll touch the t- the pop culture stuff. You'll touch the music <laughs> and the songs, but can we go ahead and talk about like what happened with George Floyd? Like, let's talk about that. Mm. Like, let's really get into it and talk about how it's been going on forever and ever. And there hasn't, it hasn't stopped. And now we just have cameras. Like there are pastors who do get into it. And I really find 
solace. Like I find solace that they can touch on it and even admit their own outrage and confusion and frustration. Yeah. Um, those are the pastors that I resonate with, not the ones that are like, if you're scared, you don't have faith. If you're angry, you don't have faith. Like we, mm. we have this spectrum of emotions for a reason. And I yep. feel that they are alarms and indicators of like how we should proceed and the story we're telling. It's not just to cram down everything besides joy and say, oh, well, I'm Christian, so I should just always be joyful. Mm. Oh, yeah. Oof. I can go into that. That's. I feel like I have really learned in my whole, in this life, <laughs> in, but in this past couple years that our emotions are typically uh, pointing us to learn something. There's our, it's like our yeah. body's reaction to something and there's mm-hmm. always, there's something there. And I'm, I'm curious for you, you know, you said, um, so your, your dad became a pastor when you were 10. Mm-hmm. What did Christianity look like in your home growing up? Well, I feel like I got a lot from church. I never really felt like there were these like hard lessons at home or anything, but I definitely was pretty sheltered in a sense that I wasn't really listening to whatever was popular on the radio. Like, Mm -hmm. you know how some people, when they're adults, they will say, oh my gosh, I was seven and I was singing that song and I didn't know what they were talking about, you know, or different. (laughs) I kind of like listened to like kid music, watched um, just what was on regular television. Like we didn't have cable or anything. It was Mm -hmm. like, sheltered I think personally it was sheltered in a good way because it was like they were really big and heavily focused on like let kids be kids Mm, so mm -hmm. if there was you know I just didn't really like sneak and watch like rated r or different things it was kind of like I just watched the kids stuff listen to kids stuff whereas I'm saying sheltered because my classmates and different people I was around at school that was definitely not the case for them they were absolutely watching stuff that most people wouldn't watch till they were teenagers (laughs) right and so it was um you know, and then at church, like my dad being a pastor, we definitely spent a lot of time there on Sundays. You know, we were in the building by like seven, seven thirty, and um, and then probably there till like twelve, and then came back for night service. So there were a lot of times, and I don't ever remember questioning like, can I just stay home or anything like that. Like mm-hmm. I, I would never. I think especially as an oldest child, we tend to like maybe not question the rules so much um, compared to like you know, the younger children can like push the boundaries a bit more. Yeah. So I never really questioned it. And then I remember also my dad being considered non-traditional and kind of like Mm. racy because when he was a pastor, you know, those decades ago, he wasn't wearing like a suit or anything. He was wearing jeans. And Mm. at that time that was like crazy. Like, oh my gosh, why is he wearing like jeans? And then, then he was also really buff. So then it was like, oh, like, is he, you know, is like, are mm. you guys just going to that church? Cause you guys think he's good looking or whoever went there. Like, it's like all these different yeah, things. Yeah. What's wrong were, with that? Right, <laughs> what's like, wrong if the pastor's right, good looking? Right. Maybe that brought us through the door, you know, but it's like, I think certain things about him looked a lot less traditional. And then he yeah. also, um, I didn't grow up with, I came, I came up in more of like a non-denominational contemporary style, mm. whereas some black people, especially like if you're in the South then you're at like a more traditional, either like Baptist church or apostolic. And so the women only wear dresses and mm. mm-hmm. there are certain rules. And like the pastor is up, not like teaching. There's like a lot of hollering that goes on and not a lot of teaching. Like I, mm. I didn't grow up in that style. I grew up in like, he's like actually cracking open the Bible and like, this is scripture we're on. Here's the context for it. So I think what was a struggle for me is like, I grew up in something that was very like Bible based and very like, it it felt like a, like how Bible studies usually go like on Sunday that felt like that. And then being 
in, in college and needing to now find my own path. And like, how do I decide if this is a good church? That was yeah. really right. where I, fe- I felt most shaken up and where I felt rather sheltered because other people had experienced like a lot more kind of like false doctrine. Mm. Um, and I, I didn't experience it until I was older, which in a way is good because I could question it more. So I'll right. share an experience with you. When I, when I, li- I worked in San Francisco um, when I got out of graduate school, so less than 10 years ago, but so kind of recent. And sure. I didn't have a car. You can get away with no car when you're in the Bay Area because you can take the BART. But mm-hmm. weekends are, tr- are tricky because the BART doesn't run as often. And so deciding to go to a church an hour away is tough because what if the BART is like another four-mile drive? And that was yeah. before Uber and Lyft was super popular. So I decided to go to a church that was walking distance from my apartment, like 0.7 miles. And I was like, you know, I don't know if it's good, but it's right here. So I'll try to go. Right. And the first few weeks, people were really welcoming and, and nice. Um, there wasn't a ton of diversity. It was mostly white. Um, worship, I'm going to say, was pretty corny. Did not enjoy it. But I was <laughs> like, you know what? It's close. I'm going to, you know, try my best. Um, and like I said, people were really nice. Um, I didn't feel like I fit in, though, because I was like, you know, like, young. And then there were only people that were older with small kids. So I was wondering like, well, who will I be social with? But Mm. let's try it. Third weekend, the pastor goes out of town and has a guest speaker. And, you know, I'm kind of like, okay, let's see what he's talking about. And he veered off and said, like, I just don't know how you people do it. You're already striking a chord because you're saying you people and I don't like that. So he's like, you know, I don't know how you people do it living in San Francisco and and then he said, my sister had that filthy spirit of homosexuality on her for five years and we had to pray it off of her. Ooh. And I like, I mean, I literally had Ew. like this visceral reaction. I felt sick to my stomach. I felt like I wasn't going to be well. And then I felt almost like angry where like my head was spinning. Mm. And I was like, you know, the one thing my therapist told me, cause I, I started therapy in undergrad and it was super helpful is he said that he felt like I do make good decisions but I take too long to make the decisions. Like mm-hmm. I stay places I mm-hmm. shouldn't stay. I, I don't speak up right away. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I'm not sitting in this. And they were doing communion. I sat my little cup and cracker down. I walked out. Mm-hmm. I was like, wow. absolutely. And it was super awkward because everyone else was sitting captivated, listening to this monster. Mm-hmm. And yes, he was a monster. Yeah. And he and he also said, by the way, like when I was walking out, I heard him say, a lot of churches won't even let me come speak because they get mad about what I say. Oh my. Well, Absolutely they would get mad because you are preaching hate mm-hmm. and you're taking advantage of your position. And then it made me think, why would a pastor elect him to come and speak as a guest? So right. you clearly must be aligned with him because right. it's this man is out of control. And yeah. I, I never went back. I didn't look back. I didn't say anything to anybody else. I, I bounced and I didn't go back. And I just, it was so overwhelming. And I realized that was when I really re- realized like, man, it's really hard going to a new city and finding a church where you feel safe and where the doctrine is not false. And then also where you can socialize with the people. And I, um, I waited till it was a little later and I called my dad and I was like shaking and he he kept saying, wait, he said, what? Like he, I don't, he, I don't think he could really like believe it. Like he just kept like going, wait, what did he, why, why would that happen? Where like, you know, and I just was like, I'm never going back there. And I took a few weeks off. That was my first time. I also brought it up to say, um, I, I usually didn't skip church. It was just something just ingrained in me. You just don't miss church. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I, I needed some time off after that. And I just, I couldn't understand why everyone else was comfortable sitting there under that. Like yeah. that was enough for me to just 
run out and slam the door and never come back, not to be done with church, but to be done with that church. Mm. And so um, I think being sheltered, it's not that I had a perfect experience, but I really feel like I grew up under just like my dad's literally just reading the Bible and not like using it to manipulate. He didn't give these long speeches when the offering was going around about how God's going to bless you if you give more, like just a lot of the weird stuff that I see now. So as an adult, I'm like, oh my gosh, like it is really hard choosing the right church because Mm. people are going to choose. They're, they're going because they want to meet a man. They're going because they want job opportunities. Like people are going for all sorts of reasons, which means they don't often care what the message is, but I care what the message is. Right. Mm. Well, and you can find places where there's such a passive undercurrent to, to the message mm-hmm. and to the community, just like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. But it's it's curious to me. So did you did you feel like you saw your dad working on that work for equality in church? Like you talked about in other churches where you see that people kind of just brush over it and they grab onto the the headlines mm-hmm. and things like that. But is that something that you experienced growing up? Was that you saw that work for, for equity or is no. that something that you wanted to see as you were aging and finding your space in the world? Yeah, I would say it's something I'm wanting to see now. I think that from my mom and dad, I learned a lot more about equity as a woman, mm. um, knowing my rights. Um, body autonomy was a huge one because, you know, just like being around church, right? People feel that excuse to like hug or kiss on people. And you kind of feel like, oh, I should just hug them back. So we're at church. And I just, just based on how they interacted with me and just would tell me different things, they would say, look, anybody can breeze into this church. You do not have to shake someone's hand if you don't want to. Mm-hmm. Be polite, speak to them. You know, you can smile and say good morning, but people do not have any right to touch you or be in your personal space. So I yeah. feel like there was a lot I learned as a woman and like just having rights over my body and all of that. But from the black experience, that wasn't something I really, really uh, kind of locked into until mm-hmm. I was older, especially growing up in, in like a predominantly white like neighborhood. I sort of like didn't know that much about my own own culture. And so going to college and like going to different events and being in different organizations, that's when I had like more of an awakening and then looked back and felt like, well, why isn't the church saying more about this. Mm. Hey everyone, want to take a quick moment to say thank you for listening. If you like what you're hearing, please share this episode and rate and review the podcast as it helps others find this online community. Thanks so much. Now back to the episode. Yeah. Wow. I I feel like there's so much that even growing up, so you grew up in Southern California. You were there like your whole life. Yes. Okay. Yes. I feel like there is like um almost a different, not always, but there seems to be like there's a different Christian culture even within the different states. Yes. Um, and it's it's interesting just having different people on and ha- having different experiences. And do you feel like? do you feel like your environment or do you feel like your, um, even the fact that your dad was a pastor, do you feel like there was a, a social responsibility to your faith? Um, cause you said that you got, you became a Christian at six years old mm-hmm. and then your dad became a pastor at 10, at, uh, when you were 10. <laughs> um, <laughs> did you ever feel like you had to be a Christian, um, to maintain certain you know, traditional standards for your family's reputation or was it, did you grow up in kind of a, the social 
Christian culture where that was like the norm or did you have more of a like, I don't know, more of a liberal, I don't know, childhood growing up experience? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's hard to say because I'm still sort of like discovering and and thinking back on my thought process and all of that. Like I actually wasn't even with my parents when I got saved. I was like in a little, um, like a festival, like a kid's festival that Mm -hmm. they'd like brought me to. And I like made the decision then. Yeah. Um, so I definitely like had an understanding because my parents would read scripture with me at night or like if I was ever scared or had a bad dream, like my mom would come in and read Psalm 91 to me. And I think Mm -hmm. I, very much at a young age connected with the comfort of God. And so yeah. I think my first experiences were really, really good. And it was always about like in times when I might be afraid or anxious, or then there were like the Bible stories that I learned and um, everything was sort of like around that. And I was like, oh, this is, this feels good to me. Like, this is something I want to be a part of. And so I chose to get saved at that time. I do feel like there was a responsibility to go to church, regardless of whether I believed. I just couldn't imagine mm. ever just getting up one day and saying, I don't feel <laughs> like going. I don't want to go. And then also I I really liked going because I also had like my friends at church and the yeah. social life connected to that. So I looked forward to it. And maybe I didn't realize it then, but those were my only experiences being around other black kids. So there might have been um, mm. a connectedness that I was feeling too, because in school, although I had plenty of friends, I was very popular. I didn't feel well-loved. There were Mm. so many little microaggressions um, about my hair and my skin and different things that I really didn't care for. And I couldn't speak up for myself. Mm. Um, I was very, very shy, but also one experience that a lot of black women have is when we speak up for ourselves, we're instantly called aggressive or angry or intimidating. And we're simply just speaking up about the way we want to be loved or cared for or respected. And Mm. so I, I picked up on that at a young age. And so I would often just stay silent. So when I would go to church or church events, no one was touching my hair or saying what it looked like or telling me that I look like, Oh, your hair looks like that. Oh, that's crazy. Or like comparing me to the one celebrity they knew that was black. Whoopi Goldberg. Mm. I'm an 11 year, 11 year old girl being told, Oh, you look like Whoopi Goldberg (laughs) just because I have braids in my hair, which by the way, hers are locks. Like there were so many levels of ignorance that I would just shut down and just feel unheard or unseen. And so then with church, it was a multicultural church. And so I would be around other black kids and other kids of other races. And so I didn't get that, that feeling of just being like, I'm some specimen. And mm. so I, I don't think I would have wanted to disconnect from that. And then I didn't really get a lot of exposure to other religions. Maybe that's on me because when I think back, um, people would come and knock on our door, Jehovah, Jehovah Witnesses. Uh, Mormons, mm. Muslims. My dad let everybody in. <laughs> and he would sit down and have a talk with them, eat with them, you know. And so I think he got a fuller experience. Um, and he was younger then, you know, in his 20s of like wanting to hear about these other religions and break bread wow. with them. Or one of my close friends, I didn't know this till we were older. Her family was part of the Baha'i faith. And just generally speaking, you know, the Baha'i faith kind of grabs from many religions. So it's kind of like, yes, we believe that Jesus is a prophet, but that's Mm. not our God, right? Mm. So they like would have these conversations. And I think what I did learn growing up is that that is important because even if you don't go and like become that religion, Mm. you need to have a a level of respect that comes from knowing and not saying, oh, that's weird or that's not a real religion. I think Christians have the tendency to feel like every other religion is like fake like right. it's not real. Right. And that's, that's actually very inaccurate. That's, mm. that's incorrect. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, maybe I, I didn't question being Christian. Um, and that's, that's the, that's the way that I feel sheltered is I wasn't really 
um, having those conversations early. So I didn't even know which of my friends were not Christian. And I actually thought most people were Christian. I just kind of were around some, I was around so many Christians that it all, it like didn't dawn on me till I was like in middle school that people even practice other things. Yeah. I think when you say sheltered, I'm, it's interesting because the, the way you're speaking about the shelter mm-hmm. really does seem like a true shelter, like, like a safety. Whereas yes. when I have said sheltered or when I've implied a sheltered life, I think my mind went to Closed off. Closed off and exclusive Uh, and conservative and fundamental and like, like that. So it's, it's interesting. I'm honestly loving hearing you talk about your, I guess, more your sheltered childhood because Mm -hmm. it's, it's bringing kind of a more positive light to that um, terminology Mm -hmm. and that language, which um, I really love. And it, it really leads me to my, my next thought, which is, you know, how religion and spirituality um, can can go hand in hand, but they're not they're not mutually exclusive. And uh-huh. I'm curious if you've ever felt like Christianity or religion um, kind of altogether, if it ever prohibited or on the flip side, if it ever furthered your own spirituality, because I've, I've listened to your podcast and reading through your posts and stuff. And it's, it seems like you are a spiritual person. So I'm just Mm -hmm. wondering, um, would you consider yourself a spiritual person? And you know, how does religion kind of tie into that for you? Yeah. I mean, I definitely consider myself a spiritual person before even identifying as Christian, because I mean, I think that's still a very new concept. And, um, I kind of feel this, I'm starting to feel funny about the title the same way I feel funny about like the title of vegan, because <laughs> I feel like people yeah. use it as a way to um, exclude yeah, and yeah. sort of be elitist. And so it's like, I would just rather any day just say I'm, I eat plants or I'm plant-based mm-hmm. than to like use that term because there's a lot of pain that comes with it when people are so exclusive and not considering cultures and not considering finance. Right. Well, I think the same goes for Christianity. There's There are ways that it's not fully accessible in my mind because it doesn't include maybe the, the, the marginalized, which Mm -hmm. that was Jesus's ministry is like the marginalized, but somehow this brand of Christianity has been created where like um, some people are more prosperous than others. And they have attributed that to like, I am more loved or I'm more obedient. Therefore I have all these things. And then you lowly people look, you just need to get your faith up. And you know, maybe, and I'm thinking like, this is crazy. So I definitely, consider myself a, a spirit being. And I, I feel that the spirit world that is happening around us is more real than what we see. And I think that like that level of consciousness is sort of like not widely accepted because it sounds weird and hokey, but like, um, for instance, with dreams, I'm really, really deeply into dreams. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of Bible stories connected to those too, and how certain people were gifted that way. Um, where like the dreams would be prophetic or they would be very telling. And mm. for me, that's that's the experience that I have is that I've had dreams about certain people. Like I have close friends where I've called them. Uh, one friend I called and I said, hey, I had a dream that you had twins. Mm. And she burst into tears and she said, I've been not talking to anyone for the past three weeks because I was pregnant with twins, but there were problems and I mm. had to have an abortion, emergency oh abortion basically. And it like shook me to my core because like I was just kind of mentioning it in passing because 
I'm not used to people even paying attention to my dreams. So I don't really get into it. Mm. And there was this whole thing attached to it. And it was like an opportunity to be there for her where she hadn't been speaking to anyone about it. And it's not to say that like every dream is prophetic. Sometimes we just, you know, have things that we didn't straighten out throughout the day and Mm. they come up in our dreams. But I, I believe that spiritual aspect is so much more powerful than sometimes during the day when I'm distracted and all these other things. And so for me, like Christianity seems more like this branding thing. It's like not like really getting into the depth of like knowing the nature of God the way I think it should be in some cases. So I think that I am spiritual and I think the way I was brought up, um, I was brought up to be spiritual. Like my mom shared with me that she knew what my face looked like when I was pregnant. Like she'd had dreams. So she already knew mm-hmm. what I was going to look like. Aww. And I just was like, there's, there's a lot of power in that if you're willing to like tap into it. And I think we also, as Christians that are in the Western world, we're really, really quick to call things um, witchcraft and sorcery that aren't. Um, and yeah. I think that the, the Bible itself is meant to be a guide. It's very, very powerful, but it's meant to be a guide. There's a lot of stuff that isn't in there mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it's by design. It, um, we're not supposed to use it to be controlling or beating anyone over the head or making them feel less than. Um, so definitely like the spiritual stuff is, is most important. Now, what I don't know though, is how that ties into my feelings about other religions. You know, mm-hmm. I just, I still struggle with like, okay, I can't even go into the other religions that are not monotheistic. I can't because I don't know enough. And I would mm-hmm. just sound really stupid talking about it, sure. but just within the monotheistic ones, it's like, how do we reconcile the story that happened with Isaac and Ishmael and how mm. there was a divergence and now you have like Islam and you have, mm-hmm. you know, Christianity and then you have like the Quran and then like, like how, how does all of that work? Like what's in the Quran and then right. what's in the Bible or even like the Torah being like present in the Bible? Like how do we reconcile that there was a divergence and then decide that this <laughs> divergence is the way I literally have no idea. And I think it's perfectly fine to say, I don't know and stop trying to act like I do know. And, and therefore like maybe condemn someone else to heaven or hell or something that that's not okay with me to try to act like I have an answer. And I can tell you, I have these debates. I, when I walk at 7am, sometimes I call my dad and he's like just getting up and I'm like, what about the Jews who do believe that Jesus mm. was Jesus? And he's like, um, hi, good morning. Um, but like, you know, but I like, I want to talk about it because sometimes it pops into my head, yeah. like messianic Jews versus like, you know, mm. like what, did, like, how does that look? Where did that, you know, what all these divergences that happen with humanity, who is correct? Because mm. actually it even ties back to our American themes too, because you have things like feminism and different things like you, I think in our heart, we want to know, like, does, does Jesus care about this? Like, would Jesus care that I'm making less as a mechanical engineer than my white male counterpart, you know, like, or, or -hmm. would he answer the way some older Christians do to say, well, this world's passing away anyway, we're only here for a little while. So (laughs) that doesn't matter. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. So I think for me, like, I always recognize that I'm a spirit being and Mm -hmm. I resonate with right now learning the nature of God. I think that's the most important thing mm-hmm. because if you, okay, so say someone's listening and they know a little bit of the Bible, whether they believe it or not, we know that the very origin of like the sin story and everything was like Satan debating basically with Eve. And the real root of it was like, is God really good? Like you say that he's good, but he told you not to do this one thing. The, the, the root of it was like, 
do you really believe God is good? Mm-hmm. And I think that that's where my questioning is right now. Mm-hmm. I am having that same experience that Eve had, but with less direct contact, right? Like she was present supposedly for that story, right? There right. was there was presence of God's voice to say, do or don't do this. I don't have the presence of God's voice in that audible, tangible way that we believe that story was told. Sure. And I'm questioning is God good? And I think that like all those Bible stories, all these journeys, most people, like, I know that there are atheists. I know that there are, but most people are more like agnostic right? and, and kind of believe God is there. But like, I, I believe that most of our concept of God and spirituality is more of a spectrum. I think that it's there. I think there are less people that are just completely atheists. That's just my opinion. I think that most people are some type of spectrum of like agnostic And I think that I can really resonate with people that have more of an existential concept of God where they're like, yeah, I I think that God exists or existed, but I don't think that God is present for me in this time. I think Mm. that God has somehow abandoned or left or is not present for me like he's present for others. And I think that that even that connects back to questioning, is God good? Yeah. Because, you know, some people may use the word universe, but it's still a, a, a you know, a single powerful creator type thing. You're right. still so it's of still, a consciousness, yeah. Yes. And so I just, I think that, that is a normal human reaction to tragedy and uncertainty. And I think at this time, more than ever, if, if you're listening and like you are a spiritual leader and you're like, oh, you know, how can I make sure that people don't feel lost? I think it's, being present with people in their questioning since, Mm. you know, people instead they get abandoned because this other person can't withstand it. They're like, well, if you're questioning that, I'm questioning, you know, what I believe too. But instead if people could just be present in it and say, wow, that's a really good question. I've never thought of that, or I don't Mm. have an answer to that. Mm. You know, um, I think people would feel less crazy. They'd feel less alone. And so for me, that's where I would veer towards saying I'm more spiritual than I am Christian Mm. because I, I'm, I'm desiring to know the nature of God and yep. to, I, I hope that in the end, I really can believe that God is good and that God is so big and there's so much more than me that the things that happened to me that were unfortunate, um, they were unfortunate, but there's something bigger that is going to be ultimately good. Mm-hmm. That's what I would like to happen, but I'm not there yet. I am presently questioning in the tragedy, frustrated by the unfairness mm-hmm. of it all. Um, wondering why sometimes I don't directly hear from God. That's that's where I am. But I, I I have a an idea in my head that God really is real, really is present. Just not always. I don't necessarily always feel that He's present for me. So when I hear Christians say, "Well, even if you don't feel God's love, He loves you," okay, but I need to feel it. So, yeah. Um, right, yeah. Well, we try to not leave, you know, people in shambles after our conversations, <laughs> um, and and you know, we we obviously we're called deconstruct that's the name of the podcast and that's what we we really love to uh kind of get into people's psyches and their journeys and um and i'm i'm just curious if there's anything tangible or physical or emotional anything that you would recommend as someone who's kind of going through this deconstruction process whether it's kind of more beginning or i mean it's not it's not like a you know there's no beginning and end really to deconstruction but um, as someone who's, who's going through that journey, um, how are you taking care of yourself that and, um, as, as a black woman during a time where 
this uh, the topic of racial reconciliation and within the church and within America, how are you taking care of yourself? Yeah. Oh gosh, that's such a good question. Well, I don't always get it right, but I'm a really big um, advocate for mindfulness and mindful living. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like for me is to be present in everything that I do. Um, I, I think we can't even walk away saying we had a certain experience if we didn't have the presence of mind when mm-hmm. we were in it. And so um, I really applaud myself when I go on a morning walk and I see one of those little tiny, tiny frogs, because it means that I was like looking around and paying attention to catch Mm -hmm. this, to see this little frog that like could sit on a nickel. That's how small it is. Um, Or when I see a bunny just hopping into a bush or any of that, or if I get a chance to go in the backyard and take off my shoes and do some grounding and just feeling how the cold grass feels against the soles of my feet and how it's a little bit, you know, there's a little moisture there. It's a little squishy and I'm walking and then, you know, just really paying attention. What, like, do I hear a cricket in the background? All of those things, even if it's five minutes, I think really helps me to stabilize and say, okay, I'm present. I didn't just drive to my destination and Mm. look back and not know how I got there or even sit across from a friend at lunch and not remember the answer to how they were really doing when I was there. So I think mindfulness really helps you not to be so concerned with what's coming in the future because the future's not here yet, but to Mm. be in this present moment. And then also I have to tell myself for a number of reasons, the misfortune that you're currently sitting in is not all your fault. Mm. That's good. Because I think sometimes, especially if you're like a planner, you're like really responsible, then when you go through something, no matter what it is, it could be a flat tire or something as big as like going through a divorce, you start thinking about, well, what could I have done differently to not be in this situation? And Mm -hmm. I think that that's really the wrong question. I don't know what the right question is, but it's the wrong question to be trying to kind of like assign all of this guilt and blame. Mm -hmm. And so in my mindfulness, I'm learning that misfortune, right? Like everyone's going to go through storms. Everyone's going to go through things. And so we can't just like blame ourselves. And I think it kind of vindicates us not that we need to walk around with no accountability, not that, but it's just some of us are really hard on ourselves. So my, my act of self-love is to say like, you know, this life, like you are promised to go through some challenges and I happen to be in a challenge. And then I'm learning to insulate myself similar to kind of like the upbringing I have. So one thing that we were always taught is like, just don't be out there just like telling your business to anybody because you just never know who has like your best interests in mind. Mm -hmm. So I've learned to still be somewhat private. And then those who I trust, I will spill the beans with them. I will have those conversations with them. And so, you know, sometimes when you're young and like, you just really want to tell somebody about this, like argument you got into with a friend and then the person doesn't answer. So you call somebody else. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not talking (laughs) to that other secondary, the person I need to talk to I will wait until we can have a conversation. I will journal it. I will. Mm. I can talk out loud to myself in a, in a, on the car ride, but I'm not going to kind of spill the beans to the person who is either not trustworthy or not compassionate. And so that insulation is really like a great way, especially because with the Wonderfully Made podcast, I am tasked with pouring into an audience of thousands. And so I need to make sure I'm poured into mm. every single week so I can produce. But I'm also like, giving myself that break where if for some reason that week I can't produce, then, I mean, we just have to go without an episode. It hasn't happened yet, Mm -hmm. but if it does, then we will go without. And I also have a habit now of 
doing a repeat from years before. I'll do that every like six, Mm -hmm. seven episodes Mm -hmm. to kind of break it up. And so just really like being gentle with myself because what I've noticed is that I'm really gentle with other people. And then I'm like a drill sergeant with myself and that's awful. Like I need to not do that. So, and then just getting around more black women, because I mentioned, I didn't really have fully a lot of black experiences until being an adult. And so I'm discovering so much by like befriending black women from all over the world. I have friends that are from Malawi and South Africa and from London and from, you know, parts of the United States. And so bringing in the African diaspora, like those experiences Mm. um, and conversation and storytelling and hanging out, that is part of the healing process is like learning all of that. So it's been a really beautiful journey for me. I really enjoy it. Um, So just basically like learning, insulating and basically mindfulness. Yeah. I love something that you said earlier that um, I think also ties into this, like taking care of yourself. And that was Mm -hmm. when you were talking about other people and their religious practices around their spirituality and how the spiritual world is, is even more present to you than, than what we see. What Mm -hmm. you talked about not condemning others to hell just because their religion looks different than yours. I think, Mm -hmm. I think that, absolutely reflects on how we should be taking care of each other here on earth. Because if the spiritual world is present, condemning somebody to hell with your religion condemns them to hell in your presence Mm. and condemning them or, or, and giving them the opportunity or giving yourself the opportunity to bring heaven to them is something that can also happen right here in front of us. And I think, I think if your spiritual practice does align with that same that same mentality you can bring heaven to yourself too even in even in spaces like this when it does come to self-care that's beautiful well fifi this has been amazing um how can the others find you we'll we'll link you but go ahead and give yourself a little shout out here Oh, yeah. So you can find me on Instagram. I have a podcast called Wonderfully Made. And so the podcast um, has an Instagram page, which which is Wonderfully Made Pod. And you'll just get a ton of different episodes. I love to do storytelling and use like sound and different things for healing through affirmations. Um, And then I also have another Instagram called Divine Hostess. So connect with me there. Um, And then my website is divinehostess.com. So I'd love to connect on any of those Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. We know that you will uh, love Fifi and uh, yeah, make, make sure you go check her out and until next time. Bye. Bye.